How many of you had a great week? So far, so good. You ever hear the joke about that? It's my favorite joke. There's a guy. He's falling off of a, a, a building, a skyscraper, and someone on the 50th floor sees him going. He says, how's it going? And he goes, so far, so good. <laughs> so we never know when difficulties and challenges are going to come our way. But you know what? The good thing is, is that God sees all. He's not responsible for everything. He doesn't set difficulties in your life on purpose. But the Bible says that he works all things together for good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. This month we've really had, uh, and we can switch over to the slides now, but this month we've had a very focused purpose um, in that we have done a thing this whole month called Pray First. And out in the four years you were coming in, you probably saw those, those rubber bands. And those of you that have been wearing them probably have your circulation cut off in the middle of the night when you forget they're there. Anybody with me on that? Uh, next year we're ordering them just a little larger and we'll have an array. But, but the, the point here is this. Before you worry, pray first. Before you step out overconfident, pray first. Before you say, I've been here and I've done that, pray first. Before you yell at your kids, pray first. Uh, then pray afterwards, and then lay hands on them. Um, whatever it is that you need to pray for. Listen, God has set up this thing that he, he wants to do stuff for you, but he has set it up through the venue of prayer. It just, this is how it happens. God says, I want you to call on me. I want you to, to seek me. I want to bless you. I want to help you. But the only way that it happens is by talking to him in prayer. And so we've been walking through this whole process. And it doesn't matter how fancy your prayer is, by the way. There are some of you, as we've been doing this prayer service, you're kind of like, I just don't feel like praying sometimes. And, and I don't feel like my prayers matter much. Oh my goodness, do you realize that to God is even more of a gift because you're doing it against the grain of your feeling against the grain of your self-confidence. Those prayers are even more precious to God than the ones, you ever see one of those people that pray, you know, they're like, Lord, in the name of Jesus! You know, and, that, that, and you're like, oh my goodness, that person can pray. God's gonna answer that prayer. You know what, I've watched God answer whispers because somebody is like, I just don't have it in me anymore. But God, you, you're strong enough. And God says, oh, now I'm going to answer that prayer over that one. Because if I do it for this person, everybody's going to say, what an amazing prayer warrior. If I do it for this person, they're going to say, what an amazing God. Don't think for a second that your little prayers that you think are insignificant are because they're not. Don't think that God in heaven doesn't want to hear from you or that he's listening to you. You know what? This is the metaphor I want for you to get. Sometimes going into Tewksbury, I realize that Tewksbury does not allow cell phone towers in it because we're those kind of people, right? No cell towers in Tewksbury. And usually it's in Tewksbury where a call of mine will drop. And some of us, if we would be honest, we think that God is this scowling, disappointed father that's looking for a perfect performance from us, looking down at us saying, you know what, come back to me later when, you, when you're really ready for this. No, he's not. You know what he's like? Do you remember, for those of you that are married or those of you that were in high school, we've all were there, that beautiful girl or that handsome young man, and you were just dying that they would notice you. And all they had to do was give a glance or they see you staring at them the whole time. And then all of a sudden, they're like, hey. And inside of you, like, hey, ho, hey, 
let's talk and go. You know, I mean, like, do you remember that feeling? Do you remember what love even was? I mean, the pure love, that spark, that infatuation. Because the Bible says, and this is difficult for guys to connect with, but the truth is the Bible says that you're the bride of Christ. And when Derek was describing seeing his wife for the first time in those robes, do you know that the Bible says that that's how the church is gonna be presented to God? A bride without spot or wrinkle, not because we were good enough, but because he holds the holy tide called the blood of Jesus that washes every stain away. It's better than OxyClean, right? You're never gonna be clean enough. You're never gonna be good enough. You never were, you never will be. That's why we love Jesus because he first loved us. You tracking me on this one? That's Christianity 101. But how does it happen? It happens through prayer. It happens through prayer. We exist for all of these things, and, and you, I'm not going to go over that, but if you've never, listen, I'll be honest with you, I was one of those kids that went through the school system and never read a book. I couldn't read. It's the truth. I read my first book in my senior year in high school, and then God played a dirty trick on me and put me through education in my doctoral degree, <laughs> and I am really resent him for that. But this book... This is written for those of you that I was talking about that barely feel like your prayer would matter. This is a book and a guide for simple people. I mean, I have read tons of books on prayer. This one makes it so attainable and enjoyable and understandable. It even explains dimensions of prayer that, that aren't common to us, like the one we talked about, P for pause. Being still in God's presence. R for rejoice. You know what? You have to choose joy. If you're waiting for your circumstances or for Jesus to make you happy or your spouse to make you happy, you got it all wrong. It's vertical marriage. You, you, when God, God is the only one that can fulfill certain things in your life. Not, in, not a person, not a paycheck, not a, you're going to be a miserable person your whole life and, until you get the idea that you choose joy. And that, and you need to do, you know what you need to do? You need to read a psalm in the morning and a psalm in the evening. That's what this author does. He said, I need joy in my life. I need to learn what it is to praise God on the front end. And you come to realize that you you set the whole tone for your life. But with praying, we pray, we rejoice. And as Pastor Dylan did so eloquently last week, he talked about asking God. It's intimidating. I was kind of this week, I'm kind of like, ah, you know, he did a pretty good job up here, didn't he? How many of you would say he did like really good? <laughs> he did really, really good. And we've got lots of great speakers in this church. And the ones that really excite me are these young people that are just blossoming and, and it's their time and yeah, we're going to get Dylan up here, Pastor Dylan up here a lot more and, and the others in the team. I love listening to Pastor Caitlin because she does everything with a twang, right? But she has that southern gospel preaching, right? Just keep pouring. Do you guys remember that message she prayed? Just keep pouring. Talking about Elijah when she, he said, take that bottle and keep pouring, keep pouring, keep pouring. God will continue to bless. But but uh, it's awesome, it's awesome. But this book is a really great thing to help you talk about pausing, re rejoicing, asking God. And uh, today we're going to hit the last one in this series and talk about yielding. Talk about yielding. It's a great verse. It's found in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and it reads like this. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. What's interesting is, is every, uh, in Judaism, they have a prayer called the Abodah, uh, it, or um, the, the, sorry, that's a word for praise. Dave, David Hodge, Professor Hodge, help me out. 
the Amidah, what's the standing prayer? Ive. we don't know. All right, I'm in good company. Uh, probably the smartest man in the room with biblical studies and language. But there's a certain prayer that uh, means literally the standing prayer. And so if you were Jewish, you were a farmer, you'd have to rush out the door. And so they would give you this abbreviated prayer. And, there, and it's very, a lot of the elements of the Lord's Prayer are found within this prayer. It was a very common thing in Judaism. John taught his disciples to pray. And now his disciples are saying, Lord, teach us to pray. It's interesting he, that they don't say, Lord, teach us how to be successful at business. Lord, teach us how to find our career. Lord, teach us how to do this and do that. And the Bible gives great advice in Proverbs on all of that. But the one thing that the disciples see very clearly is that if anything is going to happen in their life, it's going to happen through prayer. And so they say, who better than this guy to teach us? Lord, teach us to pray. And what amazes me is the fact that the verse says that Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he had finished, which means that they were watching him pray. Do you know why we've been doing prayer on Saturdays and encouraging you to bring your children? Because if we don't, your children will never see what it is to pray. They'll never see what it is for you to pray. They'll never see what it is how to pray. And in fact, you know what's amazing? In the years back, there used to be Sunday evening services, and I'm not wanting to bring them back, but there was a time where, and I think some of the things that happen in those, those services are happening in these Saturday prayer meetings where people are walking around, and all of a sudden you see somebody praying, and you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know you could do that. Or, oh my goodness, or then all of a sudden you have people gather together, and we'll say, you know what, we're going to get together if you've got a need, and then all of a sudden you've got 10 hands on you, and people are praying God help them strengthen them let them know they're not alone but they noticed that Jesus prayed they saw it they longed for it and they realized what's amazing here is they're good Jewish boys they've grown up in church their whole life but they're saying after watching him pray I don't think I know how teach us and so he gives us that famous prayer our father who is in heaven holy is your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. The reason why we pray those things to him is, is because he has the fist and he has the fight and he has the might to make whatever needs to happen, happen. And I used to always think that there were three answers to prayer. Yes, no, and wait. But I've come to realize there's really just one. And it's summed up in that last icon, that an acronym, that why. There's really just one, and it's called yield. That's what I want to talk to you about today, is yielding to God through prayer. You can, you can pause, and you can choose joy and rejoice, and you can ask, and yet sabotage the whole answer because God requests us to yield to his will. If we're not yielded to him, we don't ask proper. If we're not yielded to him, we rejoice over the wrong things, like our problems going away versus that God's going to use them to develop us. If, we, if we, we're not yielded to his will, like saying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven, we'll ask for all of the wrong things. And we'll be talking to our idea of God rather than really being yielded to him and seeing amazing things happen in our life. And I think that was some of the stuff that the disciples saw when they said, oh my goodness, Jesus, teach us to pray. I thought I knew how to. Just teach me to pray. 
So Father, speak to us, teach us in your name. First thing I want to talk to you about is yielding on the road. Check this out. How do you, I'm going to ask you to say this without thinking as fast as you can. Answer my questions loud and proud. Are you ready? Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Okay, watch this. So here we go. Ready? I'm going to give you a spelling test. As fast as you can, how do you spell stop? Say it again. How do you spell stop? How do you spell stop? What do you do at a green light? <laughs> you heard the mixed answers, right? Some people are like, you go. Other people were like, you stop. Oh, <laughs> there's interesting because I know what to do at a red light and I know what to do at a green light. Red means stop, green means go, and yellow means go faster before you get caught by the red light, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, my sons used to say, Dad, you think that red means speed up, like stop, and yellow is slow down. But there's a sign that actually describes this that's a, a rule to the road, and it's called yielding. And yielding is an interesting thing because when the yield sign is yellow, it's saying, don't stop, but you need to submit to the flow of traffic and the power of the vehicles going there so that you don't get hurt. And uh, there's a video clip I want to show you here. Fortunately, nobody died or was seriously injured in it, but man, it was scary of what it looks like when you refuse to yield to a higher power. You ready? Here it comes. Take it away. You don't even need the volume on, but they don't say anything bad. It's happening, right? This is the point where what? You slow back? No, not this person, right? Come on, whose belly button's going boom, boom, boom? They're going to make it. Ah! Boom. Bam, boom. One simple word was not acknowledged in that situation. Yield. Yield. Like there's a reason why you yield is because when you don't in the road and you're, you think that you have a right to do it first, to do it fast, to do it furious, to do it like Toretto, if you, to do it your way, you, you're like, I'm in a rush, I have like, but, but the, the reason that there are yield signs there is not to say that you're not a princess or you're not worthy of like special treatment, but because when you don't acknowledge the fact that, that you need to yield and give priority to the road there, people crash, people get hurt. And, I, and, and this is the thing that I see as a pastor through the, the decades of doing this is, is that I watch people that are in the thing called the church, doing the thing called Christianity, even stepping into the thing called prayer and they know how to pause and they're learning how to ask and they're wanting to try to rejoice more and even people that will perfect that but it, where there comes a point where God is telling them to yield but instead of yielding they think they need to speed up to make the situation happen maybe you're like me you begin to take control right and then you just do that and then boom bam crash bang and the whole thing goes sideways and that really at the end of the day that we're talking about there is talking about spiritually yielding on the road of life spiritually yielding listen to this there's a verse in proverbs it says there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end leads to death there are some of you potentially here this morning that you're doing enough of Jesus but doing enough of your own rules of the road that you are not learning how to yield to God and you're headed for a crash. 
because you say, I know where I'm going. I have control. I know what I want. And you're not listening to God. You're not looking for him. You're not listening to the leads. You're not looking into your blind spot. And when it comes to prayer, you need to pause. You need to rejoice. Yes, you need to ask. But oh my goodness, you need to learn to yield. Not because God is into hurting you, but God's into not watching you get hurt because of recklessly choosing not to yield to him. God doesn't have three answers. Yes, no, and wait, he has one. Yield to my will. Yield to my will. Yield to it. Uh, there's all kinds of different ways that you can get yourself in trouble spiritually. And I've been a victim of all these. And I've come to realize something. There is no such thing as a spiritual accident lawyer. Now, if I totally get hurt in an accident, there are about six guys hanging out in the emergency room saying, do you have a lawyer? Here's my card, you know. You can totally, this is it, they're at fault. You know, insurance, they call them ambulance chasers. Now, I know a couple of people that do this professionally that are really, really godly and good people. And there are situations where insurance companies or corporations don't want responsibility. There's nothing wrong with that when it's done morally, ethically, and right. But there is no spiritual accident lawyer doesn't exist. And I kind of find out sometimes I get accidental injuries when I go and I don't think about the consequences. I'll never forget listening to a friend speak and he talked about how he walked into the kitchen once and his son was in there holding the sharp end of a French knife. He's about two and a half years old and he sees him and he goes, he goes, Mickey, he goes, give daddy the knife. He goes, no. He goes, Mickey, come on, right? We do that where we see our kids in trouble and we just kind of talk. We think sweet talk is going to do it, right? Give daddy the knife. He goes, no. Steps back and he goes, mine. And this is the point where you ask mom to throw the shoe from around the room. You ever have one of those moms that goes, whoop, 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 whoop. And he said it like this. He says, I'm perplexed. I don't know what to do. My son is holding something that's going to hurt him. Do I rush over there and take the risk of him tripping, falling, and stabbing himself? Do I run over there and quickly pulling it out of a hand, thinking maybe if I do it quick enough, I'll save him, but he won't at least hurt himself, but maybe I'll sever a nerve or maybe an artery, and there'll be a bigger problem at hand. I want to help him. My son's in trouble. My daughter's in trouble, but I don't know what to do. And that's what God does when he looks down at some of us at certain moments in our life. We're holding on to something and we're saying to him, no, mine. And that very thing is the very thing that is going to ruin everything good, great, and godly in your life. And he's looking and he's perplexed because he doesn't know what to do. Because you won't let go. You won't yield. You won't yield. What's amazing is, is that when you read the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't read like that in the original language. It reads like this, deliver us from the evil one. Evil has impacted every single one of our lives. There are bad things that happen to good people. I wish it wasn't that way. But God says, pray that the enemy never gets such a grip on you that he has such a tight hold on you that you don't know what freedom is. That's why one of the core values of this church 
is not only vertically, but with other people, through small groups, through, through marriage encounters, all those things are for us to help find freedom together. Sometimes we find freedom serving like those people that are up here, but God wants us not to be into the grip of the enemy. We need to, he says this to us, he says, yield to my commands. Stop playing with sin like it's a toy. But there's a couple of other dangers here with not yielding in, to God through our lives as a prayer to him. And the other is through accidentally watching our lives harden. Some of you have worked in the trades or maybe you have bought a house and you learned that you have to fix it and you get a quote for something in your house and you get a carpenter and they say, oh yeah, I'll totally fix your walls for like $5,343 million. And you're like, uh, nope. I'm going to that other company. It's called the Me Do It Company, right? And so one of the things that you do, and we just did this at Alex's house and we celebrate with him, man, and their new home that they got. Uh, they, they bought an old house with horsehair plaster. And so you do this thing called skim coating. And my wife and I have bought nothing but fixer uppers because that's all we could ever afford. And, and you just put a thin coat of plaster over it and it's like you have a brand new wall. It's awesome. And so what you need to do with this stuff is you need to get uh, what's called a mixing paddle. You pour in some water, you get this stuff, and you, you don't do it too quick. This is such a risk right now. Everybody, how many of you are in the room and you're like, he's gonna totally get it all over himself, right? And you totally begin to mix it. And now this process will go on for a while, right? Takes time. It takes the right measures. You need the right measure of water. You need the right measure of, uh, you need the right measure of powder. And just for the sake of illustration, I'll just stop right here. And what's amazing about this stuff is that when it's in this state, it's pliable. You can, you can pour it. You can, you can mix it. You can use it. You can, you can add to it. You could take away from it. You could hold on to it. But timing is everything with this stuff. In fact, I've got right here several different sets. This is easy sand, but in 90 minutes, in 45 minutes, they even have 20 minutes set. What happens is, is that it begins to harden. So much so that if I don't, if I left the paddle inside this stuff and didn't respect the timing, this becomes completely useless. And this becomes the state of the plaster. And if I could just bend this in our direction, and a friend of mine said this once, Paul, people, me, let me include myself in this. This isn't your pastor talking like this. I like plaster. The more they're stirred, the harder they get. See, the thing about this, about yielding to God in prayer, we pray to him, we say, oh God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And he says, okay, but I need you to let go of that relationship. No, mine. And then we come to church and we jump into a beautiful service and they're wonderful songs and all of a sudden we get soft and we get malleable and God speaks to our heart and then we go home and God says that thing that you need to change in your life that breakthrough that you're looking through that love that you felt I can have that for you every single moment of your life but you can't hold on to that thing that sin that issue and we say no mine and we keep holding out on him and holding out on him until finally we lose that window of opportunity. I want to tell you something. God is patient, but he's not that patient.
It is about timing with God. Listen to this verse. Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient paths. In other words, stand at, stand at the crossroads, ask for the good way and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. And we wonder why we don't have a deep, genuine relationship with God. We wonder why we don't have that loving presence that we sense during songs when we're doing dishes. We wonder why we don't have that presence when we open up our checkbooks and try to take care of what we need to take care of because God's asking for you to set something down and you're looking at him and saying, no, mine. And he's saying, you gotta move on this, I can't. And the danger of church, the danger, listen, the danger of being in this thing in Christianity is that some of us, the more that we're stirred, but we're not yielding, we eventually bring it to a state where we're just saying, you know what? Church just don't do it for me anymore. And it wasn't that church don't do it for you anymore. It's that you didn't do it for him. You didn't yield. You didn't yield. I want to skip over something here real quick and just hit as I close out here. The danger of not yielding to God we talked about, but look at this. Look at this verse right here. This is talking about the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, it says, As it is today, if you hear the voice, his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. What's amazing is, is that we think that miracles are what will change people, right? Imagine if next week I come up here and I say at 9.30, Nicholas Frost came out of his coma. We're going to be like, woo! But you know what? Some of you are still going to hold on to that knife and say, no, mine. I used to think if people saw supernatural things happen that that would be revival, but I've come to learn that's not revival. You know what revival is? It's when somebody learns to say that my prayer might not be loud, but it's significant. My, my, I might not have that much to offer, but I can cook a meal. That's revival, man. Not this, woo, you know, just that kind of thing where you're just able, because here's the thing is, is these people saw God bring 10 plagues on the Egyptians and brought the superpower and the super powerful king to his knees. And then after they were running away and he came after him, it was really a bait and switch because God brought the children of Israel across on dry land supernaturally and then said, you know that enemy that you see? You'll never see him again. Swallowed them up. And yet every single one of those people that saw every single one of those miracles never entered into the promise that God had for them because they hardened their heart. They did not yield. They did not yield. See, God's been stirring some of you in your lives, but you won't let him pour you out in the directions that he chooses. You're not yielded to him. And because of that, this is at work in your life. Everybody say, my pastor loves me. He does. You know what my life statement is? I have a life verse. But if someone asks you, what's your purpose in life? What do you think God's called you to do? I'm the person that I've made a vow that I will say something that you, somebody will hate me now, but 10 years later say, thank God he said that. Some of you are right there. Some of you are right there. God wants us to learn to yield to him. And what's beautiful is, is in Jeremiah 18, there's this story of a potter that's on a potter's wheel. And I've got some clay here, and I'm not going to take too much time. But in the ancient world, they did all kinds of 
pots for wine and for, 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 for water and for drink and for food and even for lanterns. In fact, this is an actual lantern from Jerusalem in the time of King David. Chances are these burn marks and the person that used this saw the face of King David. This is like one of my real artifact things, just a history guy. Some of you are like, whatevs, you know, I want to go shopping. Like, who cares about that old stuff? But that's kind of cool stuff to me. But they would, they would make all kinds of things. Like we were singing, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want to be. You know what new wine is? New wine is, is after they crushed the grapes, it would, they would gather and collect it, and they'd pour it into a new vessel, and they would store it there, and they would begin to be able to partake for that because water gets old quick. It does. How many of you go into the gym and you're still keeping with it? Good for you, but that water bottle gets old quick. I want a little bit of cranberry juice once in a while. I want a little bit of... Uh, uh, I haven't, I've, kicked, I've kicked soda for the most part, but seltzer, I just love it too much, but it's not sugary. But God says this, you know what? The potter was shaping a vessel, and as the potter was shaping the vessel, it got marred because of maybe a bump in the, in the clay, maybe because of just the circumstances of the environment just dented that vessel. But the, the Lord says this about it. He says, listen, then he began to reshape the vessel into a new one on the potter's wheel. And God looks at his people, and he says this in Jeremiah 18, verse 6. I'll skip right over it to this. He says this in Jeremiah 18, 6. Can I not do with you as the potter has done? Listen, you might find yourself at a time where you're like this. You know what? There's an amazing thing about this state when it comes to ancient pottery. If they didn't put it in the fire and make that, that hardening permanent, if it air dried, what a potter would do is have a, a vessel of water and they would throw it back into the water and they would leave it for a week a month, and they would return to it. And you know what the beauty of it was? That clay that became hard became moldable and shapeable again. It's not just in the moment that the potter was able to reshape it, but maybe you're here today and you've allowed hardening to happen. You're not beyond hope. God wants to saturate you again with his presence and his love. He wants you to say, Lord, I yield to your will. And ask the worship team to come up as we close here. I think I could safely say the most divine moment in human and holy history of an example of yielding is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's found and it's in your notes there. If you, if you didn't get one of these, you can take it home with you and look at all this afterwards. I, I think it's important we reflect back. But in Matthew chapter 26 and Luke chapter 22, in both of those places, Jesus brings his disciples and he says this to him. He says, can you not pray with me one hour? I mean, for some of us here, God has to say, can, can you not tarry for one minute with me? Can you not tarry with me for 30 minutes? He was frustrated with them over an hour. He says, could you not like pray with me? It's dangerous. The time, is, the time is at hand. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that the reason he was born was that he would Help us to know that the reason we love is because he first loved us, because he was going to allow himself to be subject to shame, nakedness, humiliation, and torture on the cross. Because him being innocent would say, I'll take that from you. And he was going to take the sin of the world on him. But before that moment happened, as much as he was fully divine, he was human like you and me. He was fully human as much as he was fully divine. And he knelt down and he began to pray a prayer. And he says it like this. He says, Lord, if you're willing, take this cup, this cup of the new wine. Take this cup, if you're willing, take this bitter cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. 
And the Bible says he comes back and his disciples are sleeping. And he's like, what are you doing? Get up, wake up. The hour of my betrayer's at hand. Can you not tarry with me one moment? There's Jesus frustrated right there, shows he's human. He goes back and he prays again. He says, oh God, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But listen to this, not my will, your will be done. He yielded, he yielded. See, the reason why your relationship with God is like this is because you're not willing to yield. And the danger is to come in here and allow God to stir you and stir you and stir you and be like, it's cool, we're good, this is awesome, that's it. And you don't realize that God's saying, listen, don't harden your heart as they did in the wilderness when the timing was perfect, I was ready to pour. Don't be like the people in Jeremiah's day that says, listen, I got a road for you. I want you to yield into it. I got a direction for you. But then the people in Jeremiah's did said, you know what? We will have nothing to do with that. Thank you very much. Get out of my way. And we gun it like that driver and we try to get ahead of everything. And we wonder why our life crashes and goes all over the highway. And sometimes we take out others in collateral damage. This is an amazing thing. And it's in your notes, so you don't even need to look at it. But when you make, when you crush grapes, when you make the process of new wine, which is not from, it's pre-fermented drink, they would put it in what's called a gat, G-A-T-H. And literally the way you pronounce it in Hebrew is gat. And you step on it with your feet. The reason why is because if you crush it hard, you will actually split the seed and everything that comes out of that drink will be bitter, sour. It's no good. On the other hand, if you want to make olive oil, you would put olives, and this is how they are in their raw state, into, a, into an olive grinder, and they would pound it to paste, like that woman's doing here, except this is a small version of it. Literally, that's about half the size of me, those two stones. And they would get that paste, and they put it inside a basket, and then they begin to press down hard on it to get the oil out of it. Some of them turned in cranks, others used long, poles the size of half a telephone pole with rocks on it but as it would press down the oil would come out and they'd collect that and what's interesting about the most incredibly yielded moment in human history go figure it comes from Jesus our example the very one that taught us taught the disciples how to pray the very one that showed them how to do it how to pause how to rejoice how to ask also showed us how to yield and he said not my will not my kingdom come, your will, your kingdom be done in my life. And if that means that you crush me, God, you do it. You see, this is the thing is, is that some people turn Christianity and God into a 911 religion and we show up and we call on him when we have a problem, but the second the problem goes away, we feel that, that isn't, that's what God's there for. He's a 911 call, he's an emergency call, he's that phone a friend kind of hookup thing. Instead, no, it's not, he wants every part of your life because you know what, when you're really yielded to the will of God, he sometimes will put you in situations that you do not want to go to, but out of that situation, he'll do some of the most powerful, beautiful, incredible things through your life, not because you were powerful or beautiful or great, but because you were just simply yielded. The greatest work in human history and in heaven's history happened because the Son of God allowed himself to go somewhere he didn't want to go, to be some place he didn't want to be, to let people do some things to him that he didn't want to do. But out of that pressing and that crushing, 
there came a new wine that brings salvation to people and he sets an example for us. I never had respect for a boss that told me to go out there and do it, but wouldn't do it themselves. But man, I will draw a sword and shield and fight to the death behind somebody that stands next to me. I will put a shield wall with there. I will go forward with them. I will totally do that. I will never ask anyone to do something I'm not willing to do myself. Every pastor on this staff, before they get on there, they will go into a bathroom and they'll clean a toilet because I want to make sure that there's no job below them because if there's a job below them there's going to be a person below them and God's called us to go as low as we can to lift other people above us and David said it like this the Lord stoops down and makes me great I think the answer here this morning is really simple are you yielded are you willing to yield are you willing to yield are you willing to say Lord Something here applies to me, but I'm saying to you right now this morning, not my will, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the Lord's prayer. Jesus lives it right out in that moment. And here's the thing I want to say to you in love. There are many of you in this room, and this is the way I felt the Lord put it on my heart, so I'm just going to say it, and maybe you'll thank me for 10 years later. Maybe I won't see you again in this church. But there are some of you in here, you are so self-deceived because you think you're right in rhythm and rhyme with Jesus and you think that you are going to make that decision that he wants you to make and you're going to do what he wants you to do and you're going to go where he wants you to go and you're going to say what, you're, what he wants you to say and you are so self-deceived because you are not making those decisions in the small steps. What makes you think you're going to do it in the garden? If, you're, if we're not yielding to God over small incremental steps, if Jesus, and if Jesus is loaded with this in the Gospels all through them, when he's in the temptation in the wilderness, the devil says, turn those stones to bread. He says, man lives, doesn't live on bread alone, but everything that comes out of God's mouth. And then he says, bow down and worship me. I can give you everything. He says, worship the Lord and him alone. Right there, he could have sold out, but he didn't. Later on, he could have totally gotten off the cross. Peter's like, Lord, I got your back. You are not going to the cross. And he looks at him instead of saying, let's figure out a plan. He says, no, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're being used by hell right now. The cross is exactly where I need to go. And the night when Peter said, Lord, I will not deny you. And he draws his sword in the garden and cuts off the ear of, of Malchus. That was Peter being willing to die for Jesus right there. He was not, he denied him later three times, but he proved he was willing to do it. He pulls his sword. He cuts the ear off. That was not an accidental swing. These men were good with the sword. He sent a message and he said, the next person that steps over this line, I take your life if you try to take him. What does Jesus do? He yields. He says, Peter, haven't you listened to anything I said? And he heals the man's ear. He says, who are you looking for? Jesus, I'm he. John's gospel says they fall back. He says, who are you looking for? Jesus, take me. Make me a vessel. I'll do it. I'm so grateful Jesus wasn't too good for the cross. You see, the irony of this is that some of the most beautiful things that are going to happen in your life are going to bleed you out. God's not going to do a great, incredible thing through your high moment. He's actually going to do some of the greatest things in your lowest moments. The question is, is can you yield? Can you yield? We've gone over a little bit here this morning, but what I'd like to do to end this is to give us an opportunity just to yield to God right where we are. We're going to sing this song again. This is what this whole thing is about. 
You see, Gethsemane, and the reason why I said all that is because it's actually not a Greek word, even though it's in the Greek New Testament. Gath is a Hebrew word, and shmene is oil from olives. And the Garden of Gethsemane is an actual irony because you do not crush olives in a gat because if you step on it, the oil will make you slip and break your neck. But neither do you put grapes into an olive press and a grinder because you'll break the seed and ruin it. And the name is a compound of where Jesus is saying, and he's praying in a place where that cup is going to be filled with the most bitter, disgusting, it all seems wrong moment in his life. He even asked his disciples, he said, are you able and willing to drink the cup that I drink? And Jesus, just like a kid with cough medicine, <laughs> looked at you and me and said, you're worth it. We love because he first loved us. That's the best part of that message here this morning. We end where we began. Let's turn this into a prayer this morning. God, make me a vessel, shapeable and pliable. Bring new wine. Where there's new wine, there's new power. And when you feel released, you're, you're allowed to quietly slip out, grab your kids, do what you need to do. But if you want to linger, and just say, God, teach me to yield. I know you want to teach me to pray, but Lord, if I'm going to learn how to pray, you only have one answer, and it's yield. Am I holding out on you? Is there a breakthrough that's not coming and you've been praying about it? It might be because you're not yielding. It could be because you're not willing to bend in God's direction. Yield to him today. Yield to him. God bless you.